this is IFS Talks, an audio series to deepen connection with the internal family systems model through conversations with lead trainers, authors, practitioners, and users. Today on IFS Talks, we are speaking with Nancy Soul. Nancy Soul is an IFS senior trainer, consultant, and therapist who teaches frequently in Europe and the U.S. She's a teaching associate at Harvard Medical School, where she has been a clinical supervisor for over 20 years. She has pursued training from many therapeutic schools of thought and in various therapeutic techniques, such as IFS, hypnosis, biofeedback, EMDR, and mindfulness meditation. She integrates mindful awareness of the body, emotions, thoughts, and deeply held beliefs as they influence our mood, vitality, behavior, relationships, and health. Nancy is the co-creator of the IFS program and research study with rheumatoid arthritis patients that enabled IFS to be certified as an evidence-based program and practice. Thank you so much for all your work, Nancy, and for being here speaking with us today. Well, thank you for the opportunity to speak with you. I appreciate it. Nancy, thanks much for willing to sit with us and have this conversation. How is it for you, Nancy, when you hear this bio? What parts come up? (laughs) What parts come up? I, I guess a part that first feels a little bit shy and a part that wonders if it's too much, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not fond of self-promotion. I think that's it. So I've got parts that have things to say about that. But you have been doing a lot these two decades for the IFS trainings and communities. Nancy, could you tell us please uh, about your journey into the mental health profession? Was there something in your personal life that was determinant for you to become a psychotherapist? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, My road to becoming a therapist was uh, personal. I was a teacher for young children, and um, and I ran programs for children's children and their parents, and um, and then I had my own children, Mm -hmm. and I. I think through some dark times in my life, I got into my own therapy and I learned so much from that process that I decided to take what I knew, the interest that I had in young children and understanding their development and, um, and go back to graduate school because I wanted to work with people uh, at a deeper level. And not just, um, not just in a, I, I wanted to help people heal. I, I think that's it in the way that I had experienced healing myself personally. And I wanted to work with other people in that process. And that, that's how I got into psychotherapy and decided to go back for more training and switch from teaching and working with families and young children to working with people that were interested in a healing process. What were your early days of practicing psychotherapy like? What population did you work with? Well, my first job out, well, during graduate school, I worked for a human service 
uh, department in the town where I live, which is in Falmouth, Massachusetts in the U.S., and, um, and I had a very broad um, experience in working with people of all ages. I worked with families. I worked with organizations doing more macro practice. And then once I graduated, I started working with an outpatient uh, mental health center that specialized in working with people who were healing from substance abuse and particularly their families. And I, I stayed there for six years, but I also started a private practice while I was there. And I was especially interested in people's early trauma as it influenced the decisions they were making in their lives and as it was playing out in their relationships. And I, I did a lot of group work there and a lot of uh, family work, couples work, and a lot of individual work. And then I just, I just kept learning and growing as a therapist, as a person, and kept up with my own work and got introduced to IFS eventually. Yeah, how did that happen? How did you meet the model? Well, Dick had come to Boston and he I had a mentor there that had been my teacher in hypnosis and also my first mentor in behavioral medicine a guy named um, Dan Brown, who's very well known in the Boston area. And I ended up doing an extern program in hypnosis with Dan Brown, and um, which I, I loved doing hypnosis. And Dan and Bessel van der Kolk had brought Dick to um, the Boston area. And, um, and I met him at um, a meeting for the, any, uh, a, a program called NESTTD, the um, New England uh, Association for the wait, New England Society for the Treatment of Trauma and Dissociation. And I met Dick there. And then the next thing I did was I, because I live on Cape Cod, he does this Cape Cod Institute talk. Um, it's like a week long introductory training every year. And so I went to that thinking, oh, well, that will be enough. But I just, fell in love with the model. I thought Dick was great. And um, I ended up signing, signing up for the uh, Kripalu uh, personal retreat and then another um, retreat in uh, Mexico, at Italo, Mexico, which I ended up going to every year for about a decade um, and ended up being on the staff there. But anyway, so it just took off from there. I just took to it like a fish to water, and I couldn't get enough. Do you remember what it was about the model initially that, that hooked you? Yes, I do. It was, um, it was the concept of relationship and the belief that we all have a self. Because I had experienced that, but I had never heard anybody in therapeutic circles talk about it so directly. And I also felt like there was an acknowledgement and an awareness of self-leadership that I had experienced with people, but I didn't have a name for it. And so it felt like Dick was putting into words something that I knew deeply in my bones, but I didn't have a language to describe. And it was something that I felt from the time I was a little girl. So um, I just really loved it. 
that that really spoke to me. And then also just watching him work. Mm-hmm. I thought it was amazing to watch someone really um, in a very short period of time experience healing in that internal relationship. Yes, it's really amazing. Nancy, and did you train or practice in other modalities before you get across with IFS? Yes. Well, I had from the externship program that I did with Dan Brown in hypnosis, it was a combination of, of hypnosis and behavioral medicine. Uh, behavioral medicine pays a lot of attention to the body, the integration of the body and the mind. And um, there's a great awareness of how the mind affects health. And I learned a lot about that and decided to do this follow-up program through the Cambridge Health Alliance. They had a behavioral medicine program there for licensed psychotherapists. So I decided to do this training program at the Cambridge Health Alliance, which is one of the Harvard Medical School um, teaching hospitals. And um, there I studied um, many different things, psychodynamic um, thinking and uh, formulation and cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm -hmm. And they also worked at a very um, integrative level. So integrating many different schools of thought. Mm -hmm. So I felt like I had, I was really someplace where I could learn what was most important to me. We, and we did a lot of, I had also, in the meantime, I had been studying mindfulness meditation for many years on my own. Well, with the Dharma study group here in Falmouth. And then they were actually using John Kabat-Zinn's protocol for pain management and other things. And so I started working with medical patients back then. And that was before I learned IFS. That was many years before I learned IFS. Wonderful. And Nancy, did IFS fitted well with all this background of yours? Yes, it, it, it does very much. And, and even my background in working with children. And also, um, when I was working with children, I was very interested in environmental education. Because for me as a child, the environment had been such a safe and uh, healing place. And I began to understand more and more about that. And um, yeah, so all of those things be, started to get integrated into my clinical work, especially with hypnosis and guided meditations and mindfulness meditation. And, um, and all the group work that I'd been doing. Yes, it makes sense. So that was the 90s, I believe, when you met Dick and his model. And back then, the trainings were not the same way they are now, right? I, I, actually, I actually met Dick in early 2000s. And it was a little bit more structured by them, but not as much. Certainly not. I've seen it evolve over the years. And um, it's much more structured now and much more evolved, and it continues to evolve. Will you describe how you started on the path to becoming a lead trainer? Well, because I w fell so in love with IFS, I did everything that came down the pike. <laughs> I started um, going to really every program that came up in Massachusetts I went to. And I started being a program assistant 
after I did my level one training and right after my level two training, then I started to become an assist, um, a program assistant. And then I, I was a program assistant for many years. At that point, you couldn't really move up in the organization unless you were made an assistant trainer and they didn't need any more assistant trainers. So there was sort of a, a bottleneck. So I just became a very uh, experienced program assistant like and actually, there are many people in this position. I think around the country and in Europe now. Yes, there are. And so I'm an advocate, actually, for helping people move up. But anyway, my path was to just keep going, and I also loved doing the trainings in Europe. So I worked in Sweden and Ireland, and I I just completely enjoyed it. And I kept going back and back and back for all these different trainings, and then eventually there was a spot for me and I was made an assistant trainer and I very quickly became a, a co-lead trainer and a, a solo lead trainer. And then over the years, I've mm-hmm. been doing it enough that now I'm a senior trainer. Beautiful. Yeah, that was the path. And all the while, of course, doing my own inner work. And, and my education has been as much personal as it has been um, in educational. So... I used everything that I learned personally gets incorporated into my knowledge of using the model. It sounds like IFS has really changed your life. It definitely has changed my life. The other thing that happened was I got sick during in there. I got sick and um, and I, I had a disease called psoriatic arthritis, which is very, very similar to rheumatoid arthritis. And it affects people who have psoriasis, which I had almost my whole life from the time I was a little girl, which now I believe was very much from um, early dysregulation in my autonomic nervous system. And so um, I I got well from traditional uh, medical interventions, but I could not get off the medications that I was on. Mm -hmm. And then once I started using IFS, I could get, I got off the medications and I went into complete remission. So that's part of how I got into using IFS for, um, you know, incorporating it into my behavioral medicine practice. Yeah. Working with medical patients. Yeah. And I, I truly believe that, um, People have the capacity to heal, even if whatever they have is something that is not going to be cured. I do make this distinction between healing and cure, and I think everybody can heal. So interesting. So Nancy, you really came into this special interest on IFS and adult health, as you say in your chapter, out of your own desperation. Yes, that's right. Out of my own desperation. And, and my desire to really feel like I had more um, freedom in my life and, and calm. I wanted more calm and less fear. I think that was it. And that I could feel my health changing with um, a reduction in fear. And when I say fear, I mean fear of like all of the stress that we live with and all of those worries we have that we might not even be consciously mm-hmm. aware of that are, I think, more social in nature than physical. But of course, some, some of them are physical, but 
But I think most of the fears in, at least in the Western world in 2020, are more um, social and societal fears. Yes, they are. Nancy, in this chapter that you published in 2013, in this book called The New Dimensions, mm -hmm. the chapter title strongly suggests that our parts play or can play a role or a part in our health. Mm -hmm. And in the field of health psychology, we usually see more about how much people can or cannot accept illness or how do we cope and deal with illness Mm -hmm. Or how do we adhere to the healing processes? So this is quite new stuff in the field of health mm -hmm. psychology. We are talking of how we, in IFS language, our parts, trigger, maintain, and exacerbate symptoms and illness. Mm -hmm. So this is really, really new. Could you tell us more about this innovative approach? Well, basically... The way that I think about it is that part, our parts carry burdens from whatever negative experiences we've had in our lives. And, um, and those burdens can cause health problems. And from a variety of what I think of as avenues. So in some of the way that they impact our health, can be very direct because parts will use whatever they can use to do their job. And if they're a protector, their job is to keep our pain um, out of our conscious awareness and to minimize the negative effect of whatever pain or whatever burdens of pain we're carrying. But some of the ways that parts do that will very directly harm our health and their purpose isn't to harm our health necessarily, of course not. but they may inadvertently harm our health. An example might be firefighters that take on roles mm -hmm. such as compulsive overeating or smoking or health, what I think of as health risk behaviors. That's a pretty direct way that they're not purposefully trying to harm our health, but Um, but they are inadvertently doing that in a very direct way. There's a direct correlation between what they use to help us with one problem, which would be the underlying burden of pain, um, but causing another problem, such as, you know, contributing to emphysema or COPD and things like that. Um, but there are also parts that will use the symptoms to actually do their job. And they might use the symptoms, for instance, to um, have more influence in a polarization. Like an example might be from, from actually the rheumatoid arthritis study. This is very frequent. It's not just um, relevant to rheumatoid arthritis, people with rheumatoid arthritis, because um, many, many people have this polarization. But a polarization between, say, a, um, a stoic manager that pushes through pain and a part that will um, want advocates for self-care or is feeling um, resentful of caretaking other people or of all the work that the other part um, is promoting. So this polarization between working really, really hard and being really, really good and a part that says, hey, what about my needs? And 
um, all these other people are getting all this stuff that I'm doing for them, and 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 I I need some, we need some of this in here, and that polarization sometimes apart will use the symptoms to actually shut down that stoic uh, manager, so that there's more balance in the system between overwork and um, makes sense. Yes. Yeah. With just between overwork and the need for self-care. So that's an example of how part might directly affect the symptoms. It's such a fascinating frontier, right, to work with, with health issues, with IFS. I remember practicing with someone who had, um, she had really severe IBS, irritable yes. bowel, and we, we, at one point I was like, but we should just talk to this like a part and it revealed that when she was growing up, the only room in her house that was safe, that had a lock on it, the was bathroom. the bathroom. And her brother was so violent. And like all of a sudden, she, she was able to see this chronic health condition as a, a, a hero almost, mm-hmm. as, as the thing that gave her a chance to be safe for a little while. Yeah. So it is... It's such admirable work that you're doing, just kind of bringing this synthesis of of health and IFS together. Sometimes the the body gets left behind with psychotherapy. It does, yeah. Yeah, and it's what you're describing is a story that I've heard before. Is that right? It is, yes. And I I think about... um, the autonomic nervous system and our stress response system as actually when people are living with dysregulation, there can be a lot of distress in the bowel and in the gut, especially if they had early trauma because um, little kids are trapped. They are, and they can feel held hostage. Like I'm sure your client probably felt like she was trapped there. And when you're trapped and you don't and you feel powerless, um, there's a branch of the um, parasympathetic nervous system called the dor- dorsal vagal system, which has a great impact on our gut and on our um, intestines. And so many people that I've treated with um, IBS have some early trauma. And it, when we work with those parts, we do begin to see a change. So. Um, you know, and I never know how much parts are involved until we go inside and find out. But they definitely working with them and reducing the fear, reducing that internal um, dysregulation can really help with symptoms. But I, I appreciate that story that you're telling. In my, I'm so glad that that person found you. Thank you. It was an illuminating session for both yeah. of us. Mm-hmm. Nancy, you also say in your chapter that um, your framework for applying IFS with medical symptoms includes identifying and checking for parts who trigger or exacerbate Mm -hmm. symptoms, parts who maintain symptoms, parts who know something about improving or healing symptoms, Uh parts who are fearful of improving symptoms and being well, Mm -hmm. and parts who want to die. Mm-hmm. So, 
so many parts playing a role in our health. Why do they do that? I mean, their main purpose is to call our attention. Could you tell us more about these? So parts that want to die, for instance, if they know that there is a way out of the pain that doesn't involve death, then, um, and if they have hope that there is a way out of the pain, then they don't need to be triggering symptoms that actually can um, cause death. And they don't need to be involved in um, kind of a vision of the way out of pain to be death. They can actually begin to have hope and can, um, and when they can hold a vision that um, change is possible and that life is more than pain, then it, it might be that we see a shift in um, the ways that they might be contributing to a health problem. But some of this, what's hard to sort out is that some of this is direct, like there might be a part that wants to die and it's got, that's what it's going for. And, um, and sometimes it's that a part is so burdened from the past that it doesn't have hope about life being better. And there's so much dysregulation that there's this natural um, uh, sort of response between what's going on in the autonomic nervous system and the ripple effect through the body that it actually does contribute to, um, to the symptoms and to disease. I mean, there's a reason why the... Um, um, ACE study, the Adverse Childhood Experiences study, found, and all of the research that it has spawned, has found such um, consistent correlations between early trauma and adult disease. And, and, there, and that is um, a direct correlation. The more trauma, the higher the likelihood that someone is going to have um, chronic, non-communicable diseases in adulthood. Wow. And, and it's because of that ripple effect that burdens have in our internal system. Um, and that, so when we can find the parts that are either directly or indirectly affecting health, then we can actually help them heal. And that can put people on a healing path and a path of hope because IFS is all about hope. And it's also about relationship. Now, I'm guessing the two of you and anybody who's listening knows that that moment when a part is aware that they are not alone inside, that there is a calm, kind presence that they can turn to that can help them, that is a very powerful moment in IFS therapy. To me, that's one of the most powerful moments in the therapy and I emphasize this a lot when I'm teaching IFS because it's profound to realize that there is someone inside to turn to. And what I always say to my clients and to my students is that it's not mutually exclusive either. You get to have that internal connection inside between self and parts, and you get to have it outside with other people. And when people can heal from their early trauma and feel safe enough to create those kinds of connections out in the world and create those connections inside with 
themselves and with their self, with, between their self and parts, then that to me is the most healing um, situation that someone can be in. Beautiful. So I don't know if, if there's more you want me to explain about the ways, the many ways that parts can influence health, but part of it is just because of the burdens that they carry or because of the jobs that they take on to deal with the burdens that exiles are carrying. And some of those jobs are very costly. You know, anybody that's doing IFS therapy knows that when you're working with protectors, some of the jobs they take on can come at a very high cost to one's life and one's relationships. Um, like, for instance, people who have um, burdens of not feeling safe, they're not only carrying that lack of safety within their body and their physiological symptoms, they're carrying that lack of safety out into their relationships in the world. And if you can help those parts feel safer because there's someone at home inside, and feel safer in the therapeutic relationship so that they can begin to um, connect with other people and realize that they have a capacity for discerning safe people from unsafe people and that their autonomic nervous system isn't so um, dysregulated that everyone feels unsafe anymore, then they can begin to create community for themselves and life becomes um, much easier and much more fulfilling. So I do believe that relationship inside and outside has plays an enormous role in healing. Um, and that when we find the parts that have been ta had taken on jobs under the worst of circumstances in our life and release them from those burdens, things really do begin to move into healing, psychologically and physically. Beautiful. Nancy, you just stress out this strong connection between trauma and heal. I do. And also you are talking on healing. Is that really possible, the healing? Or the healing you talk, is it a cure? Or do you differentiate between heal and cure? So... In my mind, cure is something that can happen as we find ourselves and our parts and they enter that healing relationship. And to me, that's a journey when we really get that we have a self inside that is undamaged. And sometimes it's hard for people to even believe that because they feel so damaged. Mm -hmm. But once they realize that they do have an undamaged self inside that is accessible and they experience the connection between their self and their parts and are on that journey in the development of that relationship, that's what I consider healing. Because it's the beginning of someone seeing themselves as more than their pain as more than their, their negative experiences. They realize that they have, that they are full of life and light and um, compassion, confidence, and things that maybe have been previously inaccessible to them. 
and that they are much more than a part. Yeah, much more than their burdens. They become much more than their burdens. Yes, totally. And they have they learn a path through IFS therapy and the personal work that they do for healing the burdens because people often identify with their burdens. Mm-hmm. They feel like they are the burden. I mean, that's the nature of shame. So when you can heal that kind of shame attached to identity and that kind of pain attached to identity, then that's what I'm calling healing. And even in like a medical, um, when someone has a medical problem, when they realize that they are, that they can actually help the parts that are afraid of the disease or the symptoms or afraid in general in the world, that's also what I'm calling healing because calm and self-compassion increase at that point and possibility and hope opens. And, um, and that's very healing. And cure, in my mind, happens in the context of healing. It's not something that can be guaranteed and Um, and I would never guarantee that, but it is something that happens. I myself experience that with my own disease. I really feel like I do not have psoriatic arthritis anymore. I don't get even a little ache when it gets um, uh, rainy outside like I used to. I just never experience symptoms. It feels like it's gone. Wow. Um, but not everybody experiences that. That took a long time. That took years for that to happen, for it to be completely gone. But now it is. It makes sense, yes. Um, but I believe that that would not have happened had I not entered a state of healing mm-hmm. between myself and my parts and um, and a healing between myself and the rest of the world, you know, like I, where I felt less anxious, less afraid where I could raise my hand and speak publicly, where before in my life I was too afraid to do that. I couldn't be all that I am until I could free my parts from the fear that they carried and the pain that they carried. I'm hearing you say that healing incorporates social and cultural aspects as well. Yes, it is. Healing to me is a path that opens up yep and it's a path that evolves over time so nancy it looks like that to you healing is much more a process and eventually a long process that's right i see it that way and that it incorporates many aspects of who we are and many aspects of our lives and with particular emphasis in my mind on relationship, internal and external relationship, because I see us, we're primates and primates are in mammals and we are relationally oriented. And if we're living um, apart in isolation because of fear, that that actually, um, I think, has a negative effect on our health. Wonderful, Nancy. May I quote Dick? Dick says in his uh, recent book, IFS Therapy Second Edition, he writes mm-hmm. as a title, If parts start it, they can often stop it. Mm-hmm. And he says, in general, parts can give the client an headache, mm-hmm. stomach pain, muscle clenching, back pain, 
nausea, mm -hmm. exhaustion, the urge to sleep, a pounding heart, chills, numb hands and feet, and much more. Mm -hmm. They can also send intrusive thoughts and images into the client's consciousness that cause physical responses. But when we ask them to be direct about their wants and needs, rather than hurting the client physically or taking him out mentally, and when they believe we will pay attention to their concerns if they stop, dramatic shifts can take place. Mm -hmm. Would you like to comment on this, Nancy? Oh, I, I completely agree with that. And that refers to parts that are directly and consciously um, the part itself is making, um, using the symptoms or triggering the symptoms. Um, that, that goes back to what I said, when parts will use the symptoms to do their job. So if they have, parts will use whatever they can to do their job to help us. And it's not because they're bad parts. It's because they're trying to help us in whatever way they can um, find. And when we can help someone connect with a part that's doing that, um, we can help them to find out why the part is doing that and show the part another way. That's why in IFAS therapy, we talk about being hope merchants, merchants of hope. So we offer the part hope that there is another way that isn't costly and that we can help make their job much easier if they will allow us to go to um, the exile that they're protecting and heal it so that they don't have to keep using the symptoms to um, do whatever job it is they're trying to do and, um, and free them from being locked into that extreme role. And parts are interested in that even though they might be skeptical and they need to experience it rather than just be told about it. So I completely agree with that. And it's something that is um, uh, very important for anybody that wants to be working with helping people with medical problems. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. To find the parts that might be triggering the symptoms or using the symptoms either directly or inadvertently and offer them hope and an alternative which is basically healing the underlying pain and releasing the burden so they're not locked into that same role. May I go on and quote again, Dick? Sure. Same recent book. This time commenting on your uh, rheumatoid arthritis study that you co-author with the central role, I believe in it. And Dick wrote... As the rheumatoid arthritis study demonstrated, IFS can help with physical illness. Parts can often stop the physical symptoms they initiate. Additionally, some parts can help with healing. Therefore, hope is warranted on this topic. Nevertheless, we recommend a mindful approach with clients. Some will have the experience of being blamed for their illness by family, friends or treaters and many will be hearing a lot of internal blame. Mm -hmm. When medicine is not curious about the inner system and its burdens, would-be healers 
run the risk of missing the message because they are trying to kill the messenger. In IFS, we invite the messenger and explore physical illness the way we always do, by asking. Mm -hmm. So, this is about the way you were describing your approach to health, Nancy. So, again, do you want to comment on this? Well, well, I would say that in IFS, we find the, the deeper we go, the more we find that there is no one to blame and that every part of us has a positive intention. And uh, I, I believe that with every fiber of my being, every part, I've never met a part that didn't have a positive intention, even when it was a part that seemed frightening or um, aggressive in some way. That's just a very dedicated part that's trying to do a job, an unpopular job. And once you hear the story of the part, you find out that there, there really is no one to blame. So I love that Longfellow quote, which you two probably have heard. If you could read the secret history of your enemy, you would find sorrow and suffering enough to transform all hostility. And that's my experience with IFS. Every part I've ever met, every story I've ever heard from a part has um, let me know that every part has good intentions. Yes, exactly. And when you befriend them, that befriending is the beginning of healing. Nancy, you have accomplished so much as a psychotherapist, as a IFS trainer, with your contributions to IFS and health, and your work with the rheumatoid arthritis study. Do you have any ambitions as to what's next? Are you involved in a new project, or is there something that you'd like to see yourself accomplish? Well, I am in the at the moment I'm writing a book on IFS and early trauma and health. So um I want to finish that book. I had to take a um a break from it because I was doing the continuity program for the IFS Institute which is just about done now. So my plan is to get back to the book. And so I, I, I want to, I want to finish that. And because I really want there to be, and it's a manual. So I want people to have a manual that they can use um, for working with patients and working with themselves around using IFS for, to help heal um, physical disease. So that's one thing. And um, that one thing is a huge one. It is a huge thing. <laughs> it is. That's a huge thing. Um, because everybody asks me, you know, is there a manual? And there isn't there isn't a clear manual. So I'm creating the clear manual right now. And that's that's my that's my biggest ambition. And then once I do that, I don't know, you know, I I I'm I'm not I'm somebody that knows that no matter what I plan, it never goes exactly the way I plan because life just evolves. <laughs> it's got it's I think John Lennon said, life is what happens when you're, you know, busy making other plans. Yes, I truly believe that. Too. I really believe that. <laughs> so I'm not sure what'll what'll come of that, but I'm looking forward to it. I I think I might want to do more writing, but I don't know. We'll see. It's sort of a, a wonderful and torturous process for me. 
You can relate to that. You will sit for long, long periods. Yes. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, that's my next project between now and the summer. I'm hoping to finish it. I don't I purposefully didn't schedule another training until October. So for sure I get it done now. Pressure's on. <laughs> yeah. It's about it's about half it's maybe more than halfway done. So are you teaching any level twos on IFS and health specifically? Um you know, it's tricky because in order to make it a level two, I have to submit a proposal. And in order to submit a proposal, I have to stop my other projects. And so I'm not ready to do that. So I think I probably, I mean, the two big interests that I have right now that are really near and dear to me are IFS and health and also IFS and attachment wounding. And I think that comes from uh, that grew out of the IFS and health and also out of my own personal work. But I really would like to do more work on IFS and attachment. I don't know whether I'll make those official level twos, but I will continue to teach them as workshops um, because people just need more IFS, whether it's an official level two or whether it's a, a workshop. But maybe one of these days I'll turn that into an official level two. So I have done what... In the deepening and expanding workshops, there's a little leeway to incorporate your own work. So I've done that. I kind of include more about IFS and health in those, but um, I haven't turned it into an official level two, <laughs> but I actually am doing it as workshops. So one of these days. These topics sound great. We look forward to it. <laughs> Thank you. And we are planning together a workshop on IFS and health for 2021. I hope, Nancy, that we can keep this project alive. Yeah. Yes. I, well, I'm planning on it. If you're planning on it, then I would say it's alive. Oh, yes, it's alive. Nancy, regarding the future, where do you see the growing edges for the IFS model community in the future? Oh, Oh, I think it's probably it's to create trainings to really grow the international trainings and to and I believe and I've been working on this is that people from their own countries in their own language need to become trainers. So um, I think that that's actually one of the next things that needs to happen. And that's um, and that's started. I think that IFS can be expanded into many spheres beyond psychotherapy as well. Um, mm -hmm. Like I, I think IFS should actually be brought into, um, into the field of health, of course, you know, which has already started that started with the rheumatoid arthritis study. And, um, and I'd like to see that keep going, but I see it in many fields, you know, people are bringing it into schools And I think it needs to keep going. I would like to see everybody think about their, um, I'd like to see this IFS model of the mind as um, us being, um, having multiple parts of our personality and every single person on the planet having a self. I would love to see that become universal. And that would be beautiful. That we, yeah. I mean, I, that's a pretty big ambition, but that's, That's where I'd like to see it go because it helps so much to realize that it's not all of me, it's part of me and there's other parts of me. And when I make decisions, 
um, or lead my life. I, I don't want to betray any of my parts. I want to listen to all of them and I want them to know that I'm here with them and they're not alone. And everything comes down when that happens. Beautifully said. Life feels much easier. Totally. And Nancy, you will keep working on these empirical supported studies for the effectiveness of IFS? I will. I, you know, one of the things that I might add, uh, it depends on how my life evolves, like I said, but one of the things I would like to do another research project. That was a pretty big research project. I was working on that. I thought it would take a year and it turns out with a big research project, it takes more than a year and it takes a lot of time and dedication. Mm -hmm. I'd like to do another mm -hmm. one, maybe after I finish my book. That's my best hope also, Nancy, that we can sit again for another episode, maybe this time with a focus on this study of yours, the 2013 study on rheumatoid arthritis or any other topic by now. Just thank you so much for having us. It was a joy to be here with you and Tisha. And I hope we can keep meeting and sharing this model, our work and our lives. Uh, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. This was an IFS Talks episode, an audio series to deepen connections with the internal family systems model through conversations with lead trainers, authors, practitioners, and users. Thank you.